0: Hello, and welcome back to another week of Trashy Divorces. My name is Stacy. Hey, friends. I'm Alicia. Thanks for joining us and spending your time with us for another week of, well, what we do best, serve up the dishy trash. And
1: hopefully slightly distracting trash. Yeah, what a week. Yes, what a week. So it's sort of, it's a, it's a blue moon when we dedicate an entire episode to one particular person. But if there is a true Trashy Divorces all-star, it's got to be lana turner
0: oh my who
1: you have ably covered this week well a huge shout out to the original trash
0: associate producer melanie z for her research lift on this one it is definitely a week that calls for a field of trash candy and i think the story really delivers
1: i like it because it happened long ago it is it's just not timely in any possible way and i love it it's some distraction. It really does have everything. Eight mm-hmm. marriages,
0: seven husbands, a trashy true crime adjacent part. And I'm not quite sure if there's ever been a better theme song for a profilee using "blank Space from our girl
1: Taylor Swift this week. Because if the shoe fits. So before we dive in, shall we dive into the Magic Mirror real oh quick? Oh my gosh, let's pull it out and give, give some, some thanks and praise. Patreon to our new, love, yeah. Yeah, Magic Mirror. Who's in it? Who's in it this week? All right. Thank you so much to R.P., Kimberly M, Kelly F, Elise C, Lisa T, Lauren S, Barbara G. Katherine P, Ashley, Kelly B,
0: Deidre K, Lee C, Jill P. Y'all are amazing. We have a new super supporter to thank this week. Linda B, thank you so much. And Karen S, whoa, a Trash Associate producer for the entire year. Thank you, thank you, thank you all for your generous support and coming to join us on Patreon, there's always something kind of fun happening over there. It really is the enhanced Trashy Divorces experience. It
1: is, it is that. Yeah, so this week we did some tidbits on Monday. We had the Scottish Play Club. You did that. We did that on
0: Guy Fox Night. Had everybody zoom in and did the Scottish Play Play Club. Oh, we kicked off the November series with a double dip on the Mitford sisters this week. And we also talked about Hollywood kids, kids that grew up in Beverly Hills, it was a nice little cushion between Hetty Lamar from last week and Lana Turner this week. Both of their kids were part
1: of that piece. Mm-hmm. Hence, no, it's been nice. It a nice to, sandwich. Uh, yeah, it's been nice to put out some. I don't know some distracting content from here in the world's most fabulous democracy. So <laughs> I think that's the business I part. I think that is.
0: You ready? Don't say I didn't <laughs> say I didn't warn you. Let's go go go.
1: So this week you have just one story this week. We're we're just doing one, but it has it has the, the trashy, it has the tragedy. It's the it's the trashity. It's the
0: tragedy. It's the trashity, divorces. Just
1: one big trashity tale.
0: <laughs> what a week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. It
0: seemed like a wonderful time to induct a real trashy divorces trashity. Divorces, all-star, the starriest, a true heroine of Trashy Divorces. I think a terrific way to introduce Lana Turner Mm. is with a quote from another Trashy Divorces all-star, one of my personal favorites, Ava Gardner. Ava and Lana will share many lovers and a husband, too. Ava Gardner says about Lana Turner, Lana Turner says that life is what happens to you while the crow's feet are fucking up your looks. Lana has a name and a story for every goddamn wrinkle on her face. Lots of names in this one. Lots of stories. Seven husbands. Wow. Eight marriages. Okay. One child. One trashy murder. Oh. Fields and fields of trash candy. You ready? Uh, Yeah. All right. Julia Jean Turner was born February 8th, 1921. She's an Aquarius baby. Julia Jean's mom, Mildred, is uh, four days away from her 17th birthday when baby is born. Mama meets Papa, who was 10 years older hmm. than she. He was a miner.
1: Yeah, so was she. Ha ha.
0: <laughs> very funny. He comes out to inspect Mildred's father's mine.
1: He was a whole inspector. Is that what and you're an me? And inspected
0: Mildred's daddy's miner as well. She was 14. He was 24. And minor Woo. Mildred's daddy does not approve. Yeah. But no matter. It's young Love, the kids elope. Baby on the way. key. Groovy.
1: Where you should not go. Well,
0: it's not entirely groovy. Cause a few things happen in Judy's childhood. Julia Jean is called Judy. That is what little Lana is called for now. Okay. The family is struggling financially, but little Judy likes to perform. The family is gonna make it from Idaho to San Francisco upon which mom and dad separate, leaving little Judy with Mildred mom and Papa Dad. This is tragic. This begins some of Lana's wrinkles. Uh, Dad is part of this traveling craps game and wins super big one night and stuffs all of his winnings into a sock. And the following morning is found bludgeoned to death with that one sock and his shoe missing.
1: Oh, God.
0: Unsolved. Never been solved. Fairly tragic.
1: Pretty sure it was related to the game he was in the night before per, yeah yeah
0: well he won that money it was uh lana's birthday mm, uh-huh. was, yeah and he was going out to yeah he could he Was so excited because he won
1: my god i know to have a parent murdered on your birthday is trashy yeah okay that's tragic
0: so mildred and judy are staying right with friends and mom's trying to save money and they have a set of some really horrible years mildred's working 80 hours a week to support she and the kid. And, like, they may live on crackers for one week. Like, it is, it's an impoverished childhood. Because mom is working, little Judy is boarded at a foster home where she is exploited as household help. Okay. She is physically abused. She is psychologically manipulated about that abuse to keep quiet about it. It's super bad. Little Judy will find, is an odd flex, some solace in the Catholic Church, though. She converts when she's seven to the Catholic Church. Okay. She'll go to Catholic school. She wants to become a nun. Like, the theater and the thrill of the pageantry of the church was really appealing to a kid who liked pageantry and theatricals, right?
1: Right. And probably also was seeking some stability Right, I mean, the the Catholic Church is a rather stable entity over the last few millennia.
0: Well, apparently it's so stable, this is what Judy wants to do. She wants to become a nun. She's like, this is great. Mm I've got my whole life planned out. This is fantastic. But around this time, Mom Mildred, like, not feeling real good. Mildred's doctor is like, you need to get into a drier climate. You need to go south. So Mildred and Judy pack up, off to Los Angeles. Hello, 1936. Lana is 15 and about to be a star.
1: Hollywood. Yeah.
0: Well, early in 1937, 16-year-old Judy is cutting class one day from Hollywood High, like you do. Like you do. Who needs typing skills anyway? She cuts typing class. And she's chilling at the Top Hat Malt Shop. And in walks Billy Wilkerson. Now, Billy Wilkerson is a founder of a little publication called The Hollywood Reporter. Perhaps you may have heard of it. May have. He does a bunch of other stuff, too, but he's working at The Hollywood Reporter, and Billy Wilkinson's like, hmm, I think I'd fancy a milkshake, too, I guess. So he walks down to the Top Hat Malt Shop, and uh, literally a star is born. Billy goes to the manager of the shop, he's like, listen, man, I don't want to be a creep, but I want to talk to that girl.
1: I would like to speak to your manager.
0: Well, he goes, like, he doesn't want to freak her out. Right. Right? Does she work there, or is she just No, she's skipping
1: class. Yeah, okay. it's time for a top hat malt. He just wants a chaperone, a, a witness that he's not being a creeper or something? Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah,
0: yeah. So the manager's like, hey. It's thoughtful, I guess. Well, the manager knows this is Billy Wilkerson, right? Okay, fair. So the manager's like, hey, Lana, this guy wants to talk to you. This
1: guy also likes malteds. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Judy's like, okay, if you'll just stay close. Like, that's cool. I'll, I don't know what this is about. Like, I don't think my mom would give me permission to do this, but okay. Judy and Billy are talking. Next thing you know, there's a meeting with Mama at Billy's office. And after that, a note of recommendation is sent to uh, Zeppo Marks. And by 1938, Judy is a Lana and is signed to a $100 a week contract. It's all happening. That's the backstory. Let's get to the men. (laughs) I got a blank space, baby. I'll write your name. Lana Turner loves men. Perhaps one of her most famous quotes. I liked the boys and the boys like me. The gal who denies that men are exciting is either a lady with no corpuscles or a statue. By 18, Lana has her first serious boyfriend. He is a well-connected Hollywood lawyer named Greg Boutzer. You may have remember Greg Boutzer because he represented Big Nancy in her divorce from Frank Sinatra.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: Now. Previous to dating the 18-year-old starlet, Greg Bouncer, had been keeping time with Joan Crawford before Lana and all that jazz enters the picture. And Joan Crawford finds out that her ex-boyfriend is dating her teenage co-star. Can you imagine? Joan Crawford corners Lana Turner. Oops. Threatens her. It's me he truly loves. He just hasn't figured out how to get rid of you yet.
1: Yikes. That's tough, yeah. That's that's verging on a hostile workplace, for sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Lana
0: doesn't buy what Joan's selling, but Joan Crawford does plant enough doubt in Lana's brain that when Greg Bouncer bails out at the last minute for her 19th birthday dinner, he's going to take her out because she's turning 19 and he bails. So she's like, psh, Whatever beginning the long line of, I make bad choices in rebounds, she's going to say yes to the next guy who asks her out. That guy, previous Trashy Divorces alum, band leader Artie Shaw.
1: Uh, Oh, sure.
0: And at the end of their first date, Artie and Lana have eloped to Vegas.
1: Wow. Lana does not know
0: that she is Artie's wife number three.
1: Oh, my God. Stuff you learn on date number two is really important. (laughs) Super key. Wow. Just like dinner went great, so let's drive to Vegas and get married? Like, Kinda. Okay. Well, Lana's 19. Exceptionally good choices. Well, she just got um, stood up on her birthday and her dad died on her birthday. She's probably...
0: I don't know if he died on her birthday, but it was around that. Like, I don't want to be specific on that, but it was around that time he'd won and was about to buy her a birthday gift. It
1: didn't make her birthday better. No. So, RJ,
0: RJ Wagner, another TD. This story is just, it's just a field full of trash candy. We'll later explain about Artie Shaw. Artie Shaw had a terrible Henry Higgins complex, which accounts for why none of his wives hung around long. Artie's invariable presumption was that his girl or wife of the moment was always dumber than he was. Swell guy, swell guy. That marriage, (laughs) number one for her, lasts four months and 11 days. Helpfully, ex-boyfriend Greg Bouncer handles her divorce.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. Did she at least kick her Cockney accent during the... uh... (laughs)
0: Lana's going to meet her next husband. (laughs) At the old Hollywood hotspot, the Macambo.
1: Slow down, Lana Turner. Slow down.
0: I can make the bad guys good know, for a you're, weekend. You're shaking your head. No, there's there's no there's no slowing down. So <sighs> Macambo. It's all happening. Word on the street is that Stephen Crane third. Just want you to remember the third here was the heir to an Indiana tobacco fortune. Lana is soon telling. The entire paparazzi press corps that she was head over chin, pinwheels on fire in love. And within weeks, Lana and Steven were in front of that same justice of the peace who married she and Artie Shaw. His name is Judge Marshall.
1: Lawyered. <laughs> married. <laughs> Judged. Well, before
0: Judge Marshall... Does this marriage? Lana looks at him and says, tie it tighter this time,
1: Judge. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. I like that she has a sense of humor about her misadventures here Oh, so Plucky. Far. Plucky. She's, I, I
0: love Lana Turner. She is her own creation of magic, but what a legend. Okay. So those words are barely out because, remember, Lana doesn't do date number two. Uh, Lana finds out that her new husband, Stephen Crane the Third, had been married once before. So figuring out that your new husband had been married once before was probably forgivable, except that marriage wasn't finalized. He was still married. The
1: divorce was not finalized.
0: Yeah, so tricky, tricky.
1: So he was married once before and still was. Correct.
0: When he married Great.
1: her. Great. So now he has two wives. So Lana applies for an indulment. Good.
0: Steven will smash his car to get her attention. He will be drafted into the army. <laughs> Lana will find out that she's pregnant with a child that she desperately wants. Now, Lana's cool being a single mom. I've got a career. Mm-hmm. I'm like I'm a famous yeah. actress. I have plenty of money. This is not a problem. There is someone who is not as cool with that, which is MGM. Oh yeah. The studio is pressuring her to stay with Steven just for the sake of the kid. How? What is the publicity going to look like if you ditch... It's for the
1: optics. I mean, it's for the public, yeah.
0: A soldier headed off to war. Like, we don't really care what he's done. Like, the publicity of this is going to tank you.
1: Lana Turner, if you don't support the troops, who will? Who
0: will? Oh, Lana Turner, I didn't even get this in the story. We'll go on that same war bond tour. Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And I believe her total. She would give kisses for war bonds. I believe she sold five and a quarter million dollars worth of war bonds.
1: And this is the tour that uh, Carol, Hetty Lom-
0: Lamar, and Carol, Carol Lombard, Lombard were mm-hmm. also on. And Carol yep. Lombard
1: died on coming home from it. That's
0: it. That's it. See,
1: look at you and your trash candy evolution. It sinks in sometimes. You're going to get your degree here sometime. I I'm know proud of you. More about war bonds than. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Ask me about the war bond tour of 1942. (laughs) And
1: that's how you fund the defeat of the Third Reich. Uh, Okay.
0: That's amazing. Okay. So Stephen will divest himself from his wife, number one. And after this, Stephen and Lana sneak across the border and get married in... Tijuana? You got it. Tijuana wedding. Oh, I should have said get out your bingo cards a long time ago. When they get back to Hollywood... Kindly, Judy Garland and her new husband, David Rose, throw Lana and Stephen Crane a wedding reception. It's very nice. Lana's daughter will write in her autobiography called Detour, A Hollywood Story, which is heavily sourced for this narrative. Cheryl writes, I arrived in the muggy dawn of July 25th, 1943 at Hollywood Hospital, half dead and dying because mother's blood and mine were incompatible. Her RH negative blood was mm. producing antibodies to destroy my RH positive.
1: Hmm. I bet that causes a rash or something, right? <laughs> After 18 hours of labor,
0: the contest ended in a draw. As an RH factor baby, my entire blood system had to be flushed out with transfusions every four hours for weeks. Wow.
1: hmm Wow.
0: But Lana has the child that she so desperately wants. Yes. She wants to name the baby Christina, but her old nemesis... Joan Crawford used that baby name two years earlier when she adopted a baby girl. So Lana will settle for the name Cheryl Christina Crane, although none of that matters because she will, Lana will call Cheryl baby for the next 40 years. Okay. Like until she's 40. Really put a lot of thought into the name Mm -hmm. and
1: then just blew right past it.
0: So once Lana and baby have recovered, Stephen takes Lana home to Indiana Remember because he's a tobacco Indiana heir. tobacco heir. And Lana, right, then discovers He's not. Hubby number two and three, technically. Mm, uh yeah. wasn't a third. He's not Stephen Crane the third at all. He's not a tobacco heir. He's not even named Stephen. He's a guy named Joe from Why? a small town whose dad owns a pool hall and a cigar counter.
1: Why on earth would Joe bring his Wife and babe. Why? Why would he expose the ruse?
0: Well, Stephen had moved to Hollywood to reinvent himself, like so many others. I guess and, her name's uh, not really Lana. Well, when Stephen landed in Hollywood, he started hosting Saturday afternoon card games that attract uh, movie stars and mobsters. So it's actually Virginia Hill, Bugsy Siegel's mistress, who loans. Stephen Crane the cash to get his nose fixed and his chin done. Hmm. So, Lana, there's a little bit more about Stephen's history that Lana is not aware of until she goes back to the tobacco farm, which is a cigar counter in Indiana. All of this, too much. Between the... For Lana. For Lana, absolutely. Stephen's sins of omissions. Reasonable. And uh, his garden variety... uh, whoppers were too much she will file for divorce a little over a year after their second marriage now Stephen crane will parlay his notoriety as alana turner's ex-husband into a contract at columbia pictures but his acting career does not take off and he will end up going into the restaurant business here's your fun spider web because we talked about it this past week on patreon in our Hollywood kids story, one of the restaurants that Stephen Crane opens is the Luau that Candace Bergen talks about going to. It's a tiki hangout on Rodeo Drive with scorpion cocktails that come with a gardenia. The smoke clouds drink comes with a hunk of fog producing dry ice. And this is what Candace Bergen says about the Luau. You couldn't figure out how to get up from the chair afterward. The luau was always where you were getting hit on by Sam Spiegel in the women's room. It was very racy, very thrilling, you know, for a 16-year-old to be in the luau. That's Stephen Crane's restaurant.
1: Interesting. Okay. I, it all... spiderwebs. Yeah, wicker was the big thing after the war, right?
0: Yeah, tiki Hawaiian. Yeah. Well, yeah, you have a whole... Whew. Anyway. Cheryl, baby, is being raised by nannies because that's the Hollywood tradition. Cheryl says after mother and dad settled the dire matter of who would have custody of me, they hurried back to their movie making and nightclubbing with hardly a backwards glance at the nursery. This was the standing operating procedure in Hollywood. There was nothing unusual about a star mother being uninvolved with her children. It's one of the saddest things I really do. There's a, such a nice thing coming at the end of the story, but Lana really is hands off when it comes to physical affection Cheryl will go on to explain lips never touched lips, skin hardly touched skin. It was for show, a cocktail kiss like a half slide down the jungle gym. In her commitment to physical, seamless glamour, she kept herself in a perpetual state of camera readiness, even at home. The hair, she would say flatly if it seemed like I was about to forget. Sweetheart, the lipstick.
1: That just seems like tons of pressure.
0: Terrible. Cheryl does go on to add, the only one who hugged me was Gran, usually on Thursdays. Mm. It's Mildred. Oh, there is also one other notable exception, because there is someone who really is quite fond of Cheryl. There's a neighbor. They have a neighbor named Greta, as in Garbo. (laughs) Cheryl says, Nana took me for earrings in a big-wheeled preambulator, and our neighbor Greta Garbo often lifted me from the carriage to stroll through the park and hold me close to her lips, cooing endearments. Kind of cool to have Greta Garbo as your fairy godmother. Yeah. So here's Cheryl being raised by her Scottish nanny and Lana is making movies. And well, I got a blank space, babe. Mm. She's going to date John Hodiak, who is best known today probably as the lead in Alfred Hitchcock's lifeboat. She will date the Turkish dreamboat Turhan Bey. She will date Howard Hughes. She will date Peter Lawford. And she will... Ball, head over heels, gaga, kitten smitten over Tyrone Power. So Tyrone Power, Lana will call the great love of her life. He was kind of like the Brad Pitt of his day. Like he was kind of the it. And they're in love and everything's great. And Lana is certain that Tyrone Power is about to be the next Mr. Lana Turner. Tyrone Power is about to leave on a 12-week world publicity tour in 1947. And Lana's like, I'm going to make this memorable. Lana throws Tyrone a $10,000 Bon Voyage party at the Macambo. Orchids are flown in from Hawaii. Jimmy Dorsey's band plays the party. Certainly he'll come back and marry me. One would think. Tyrone Power falls in love with an actress in Italy who had a bit part in a Lana Turner movie a little while back.
1: This makes perfect Hollywood sense to me. So Lana is on the
0: rebound again. Hmm. This husband's name is Bob topping. (laughs) And unlike Stephen Crane, this one is actually a genuine tobacco air.
1: Was that a, Common thing to be back in the day? I, like Apparently. I feel like I've met zero tobacco heirs in my day.
0: <laughs> well, Bob Topping is one. His family had also made a ton of money in steel and railroads. Most of their cash came from tin plate. Bob's brother, Dan, owns the Yankees. So that's fun. Okay. The family lives in a 28-room Elizabethan mansion hmm. on 600 acres in Connecticut. Okay. That's fine. That's like
1: verifiable error right there. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, Lana's probably checking by this point.
1: Wait, you're a (laughs) what? Let me just say, Bob, I've had a bad experience with tobacco (laughs) errors in the past. (laughs) Gonna need to call around. Do you have references?
0: So after two Vegas elopements and a Tijuana do-over, right, (laughs) Lana and Bob get married in 1948 in a lavish ceremony at the home of... Billy Wilkinson, oh,
1: I thought you were who discovered, say,
0: no, who, who discovered Lana at the Top Hat mm-hmm. malt shop all those years ago. Billy Wilkinson also develops the Flamingo Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas until Bugsy Siegel right, the muscles them out of the action.
1: Yeah, I feel like that rings a bell. Spiderwebs, But I thought you were going to say at the home of Judge Marshall.
0: No, I think Judge Marshall's done.
1: Not marrying you again. Judge Marshall's
0: like, I'm out. I You've got nothing. Already
1: had too many tobacco airs.
0: The newlyweds take off for an extended honeymoon. She is away from baby for six months at a stretch. Now, Cheryl's dad, Stephen Crane, the pseudo tobacco air, tobacco air, is also engaged at this time to a starlet named Lila Leeds. She's best known today as one of the four people arrested the night cops busted Robert Mitchum for possession of marijuana. So Stephen Crane, huh, with his restaurant going under, not the luau, that's much later, but the one he's got, the family pool room about to lose its lease, a fiancé facing the slammer, Stephen pulls a runner. He leases his Hollywood restaurant to new owners, breaks up with Lila, moves to France. So Stephen is out of the picture for a minute just as it comes to custody things. But Lana and Bob, everything's fine. When they're in town, people come over for fabulous parties like Sammy Davis Jr. and Judy Garland and Frank Sinatra. But it turns out that Bob is a mean drunk and he's a degenerate gambler. He'd blow $5,000 on a putt of golf. And Bob is so obsessed with ingratiating himself with Cheryl, he'll tell her, the kid, your dad's been in a car crash. He's dead in France. You know this makes me your daddy now. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. Okay, so super stable.
0: Not at all. Not a
1: dirt bag, even a little bit. Oh,
0: pretty big dirt bag. So Cheryl's grandma one day is like, hey, Cheryl, your dad's coming into town. Cheryl's like, my dad's dead in France. Like, oh, God. But Bob isn't just cruel. He's also broke. His family's wealth is tied up in trusts and... The executors have him on a strict allowance that he would blow on $5,000 putts of golf as soon as he gets it. Lana does wise up once she starts paying the bills at Bob's family's estate. Mildred, mm-hmm. mama, mm-hmm. takes Lana aside and says, you just cannot afford to keep a millionaire.
1: Mm-hmm. That so, great phrase.
0: Lana's going to scoop Cheryl up. They're going to go to Lake Tahoe for a quickie divorce. Cheryl spends most of that summer zipping around on a cigarette boat owned by an 11-year-old orphan, Oil Fortune heir. His name is Bobby Westbrook. Frank Sinatra is playing at a nearby lodge. So, like, everything's fine. And what does Lana do best? She's going to console herself and go on the rebound again. This time Lana is going to have an affair with Fernando Lamas. Hmm. Uh-huh. This blows up at a party at Marion Davies house in 1952.
1: William Randolph Hearst's mistress, okay. mm-hmm. Yep.
0: So this is it's a, a kind of a legendary. This is bad. So Esther Williams is looking on. And Fernando accuses Lana of flirting with Tarzan, Lex Barker, in front of Barker's wife, actress Arlene Dahl. Okay? So, Fernando and Lana break up, and so do Lex Barker and Arlene Dahl. Are you with me so far?
1: Oh, I think I know where this is going.
0: Arlene Dahl ends up marrying Fernando Lamas Mm -hmm. and has a child with him before they divorce. Fernando Lamas will then marry Esther Williams. Oh, my God. Okay.
1: The rumor had happened.
0: Room where it happened, other side, Lana is going to take Tarzan Lex Barker as her next husband. Figured. Okay. Now, Lex Barker is dropped out of prison to be dropped dropped
1: out of (laughs) Princeton. If only. (laughs) Dropped out of prison. (laughs) They sentenced me, but I just didn't like it there, so I dropped out. (laughs) We do that over. Kind of great. Dropped out of Princeton is a different thing. (laughs) words are hard
0: lex had dropped out of princeton to become an actor and was looking to hang up his loincloth when he hooks up with lana right he has two kids with his ex-wife but they mostly live with mom cheryl lana's kid is boarded at sacred heart academy in pasadena at this time oh while she's there guess who else is there Joan Crawford's daughter, Christina, who is working the front desk the day that Cheryl comes to check in and arrive at school.
1: And that didn't make her want to drop out right there?
0: Well, Cheryl really liked Sacred Heart because it keeps her safe from her latest stepfather. Cheryl says, Mother always gave her current boyfriend or husband complete parental authority over me, superseding Gran or the current governess. So, when Lex begins sexually abusing Cheryl and threatening her with juvenile haul, mm-hmm. if she tells anyone, it takes Cheryl a number of years to work up the courage to confide in her grandmother. And to Lana's credit, once Lana finds out, she gives Lex 20 minutes to get the hell out of their lives.
1: That seems like an appropriate amount of time.
0: That's, you need to pack your shit, you gotta Grab
1: go. What's grabbable and get out? well, that same
0: thing happened to lot like yeah. her is it mm-hmm. uh, so this upon hearing that uh Lexa dropped dead of a heart attack in New York City in nineteen seventy three Lana's comment was it wasn't soon enough. Hmm. I love her, okay, everybody take a breath. This takes us through four husbands, four marriages about to have another divorce. Already enough to qualify as a Trashy oh. Divorces All-Star.
1: And then some.
0: But Lana Turner's going to keep going because we are going to come back with Hubbies 5, 6, and 7, as well as the killing of Johnny Stompanato mm.
1: after we hear a word from oh. our awesome sponsors Sponsor, yeah. this week. Okay, back in a second. See you on the flip. Hey, Trash Pandas. When you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. So you're saying um, now we're going to take a little true crime detour? Yeah, here's our true crime crossover. Excellent.
0: So out of those wrinkles on Lana's face, probably the most notorious one is a wrinkle named Johnny Stompanato.
1: Okay, it's just one. All right.
0: That's not how he first introduces himself when he starts cold calling Lana in April of 1957. He says his name is John Steele. He sends roomfuls of flowers to her. Continues to send roomfuls of flowers until she'll speak with him. Once he gets her on the phone, he will name drop a friend of hers. I know your good friend, Ava Gardner. I can't tell if this is creepy or... Oh, it's bad. Okay. Oh, no, just (laughs) brace yourself for bad. So, by the late 1950s, both Ava Gardner and Lana Turner were no longer at MGM. Ava had relocated to England. So, they're not comparing notes and hair and makeup like they used to at the studio. See, back in the day... They did this when Lana tries to warn Ava Gardner about Frank Sinatra because Lana had had an affair with Sinatra after she divorced Artie Shaw and she says I've been there honey don't do it I should have listened to her that girl had been around Ava's not there to give the same advice back to Lana so Lana bad picker worse picker decides to take John Steele at his word. At the time, she's also dropped from her studio contract. There's the messy divorce from Tarzan Lex Barker, child molester. And Lana's like, his floral gambit was uh, gratifying and eco boosting, right? So John quickly integrates himself into Lana's life. He begins adding a collection of jewelry pieces, all embellished with little gold leaves, to the regular floral deliveries He wants to get in with Cheryl, so he's going to buy Cheryl a red Arabian mare called Rowena. Hmm. Lana says, By now, I was thoroughly curious about what John Steele did for a living, but he had his own way of dealing with my questions, not so much by ducking them as by leaving me with the assumption that he was involved in producing records. But whatever his profession was, he clearly knew how to court a woman. He had the kind of dark good looks that had always attracted me, and his attentiveness soothed the hurt of those last grim months with Lex. Daughter Cheryl will remember John as, quote, handsome in an oily kind of way. (laughs) He had the B-picture good looks that were not unremarkable in a town where almost every waiter had a star's profile. Thick set, powerfully built, and soft-spoken, he talked in short sentences to cover a poor grasp of grammar. He seldom smiled or laughed out loud, but always seemed coiled, holding himself in. His watchful hooded eyes took in more than he wanted anyone to notice, I think, and he had that heavy quiet about him that made you wonder what he was thinking. I seldom wondered, however. He was just Mother's new one. I had stopped investing myself in her husbands and lovers because they always wound up vanishing in the night. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. This one will vanish, not soon enough. Hmm. So... Lana and Lex Barker have divorced by February 1957. By April of 57, Lana is dating John Steele. Not long after that, she finds out from a mutual friend that her boyfriend's name is not John Steele, but is in fact Johnny Stompanato.
1: This sounds like a mobster name to me. Is that? Oh, yeah. Okay. He has a history. Okay. We're
0: going to find out more about him as time goes on, but here's a brief summary Hmm. to, to get you to this point. John is a son of a barbershop owner. His mom dies after his birth. He's sent to military school. Maybe he goes to Notre Dame for a year. Maybe he just joins the military. In 1943, he goes into war. Will after the war, open an international nightclub. will marry, have a kid, separate, and end up in California by 1947, as early as, maybe as late as 1949. It's sketchy. Here, Johnny Stompanato is going to meet Mickey Cohen, legendary mobster. And Johnny's going to begin working for him as his bodyguard and pimp, almost. Like, he finds girls for visiting mobsters when they come to town.
1: I mean, it's work, Alicia. (laughs) (laughs) Kidding. I'm kidding. Johnny's
0: industrious. He has all kinds of other jobs, too. He sells cars. He's a pet shop owner. He's going to marry again and is divorced inside of three months. He'll marry again, divorced again in three years. Good looking guy. uh, Gets
1: girls for mobsters. He's generally all around shady. Oh, there's some armed robbery charges too. I mean, it's important to have a lot of interests. But by the time. You want variety.
0: In 1957, in the spring of 57, when Johnny starts calling Lana Turner, his main source of revenue is seducing women and borrowing money from them.
1: Borrowing or...
0: So, when the victim's money is gone, Hmm. he will find a new woman to become interested in. I see. I see. Now, this time, Lana's interest in Stampinado dissipates before he gets all of her money. Cheryl will say that Lana had a pattern with men. Stage one was the period of mother's selfless devotion to her spouse. Stage two involved the reassertion of her needs and in stage three she spewed out her bitter feelings of blame and reproach for all the sacrifices that she had made in stage one so according to Cheryl the more mother learned of his lies and she confronted him with them the more possessive and threatening he became Lana resists going to the police because of the publicity. The publicity frightened her more than Johnny Stompanato did. Lana's going to bide her time until she's going over to England. She's in a movie. And she figures uh, that long morrow, the separation, would set the stage for a graceful fadeaway. I can ghost them.
1: Yeah, this makes perfect sense.
0: Well, Lana, she hadn't anticipated how challenging the overseas shoot would be. She has culture shock and she's stressed out and she's also co-producing. So she turns to Johnny Stompanato for comfort. He hops on a plane. The reunion isn't great. It ends with him being deported by Scotland Yard after Lana's makeup man dropped the dime on him for choking Lana and almost crushing her larynx. Wow. Lana tries to pass this off as acute laryngitis.
1: That, you mean the word acute, not as a cute little laryngitis. No, acute cute, yeah. laryngitis. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cheryl is going to head to England to
0: be with her mom at this point, Good. joining Lana. And the big disappointment happens because Lana is supposed to be presented to Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip. But because of all the cute. bullshit with Stompanato.
1: Because of all the acute laryngitis.
0: All the acute the laryngitis, it's it's next. So... By the time the movie wraps, Lana is going to head down to Acapulco for a little bit of rest and relaxation.
1: Fun in the sun.
0: Lana claims that Stompanato finds out about her flight information, books a ticket, strong arms her into joining her on the vacation, and then refuses to let her out of his sight, even to go to the bathroom. This is what's fun. You're really going to enjoy this part. Lana will later say, That Johnny Stampinato goes to the owner of the hotel where they're staying and says, I need a gun because I need protection against the feral iguanas that are invading the resort Mm -hmm. in search of food and water.
1: I think if you just crank the air conditioner down... That'll that'll slow those iguanas a lot. Well, very unhelpfully, the owner gives
0: Johnny the gun for the feral iguanas. Like you do, I guess. And Johnny proceeds to threaten Lana with that gun during the duration of their stay. Admittedly,
1: I saw that coming.
0: So, while they're in Mexico, Lana gets great news. Her agent calls. She's been nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress for her performance in Peyton Place.
1: Hooray. Which we talked about, we
0: not... did. A, spider webs everywhere alabama divorce capital is that i think so yeah 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 yeah. so lana and johnny come back to la and she's too terrified to break up with him but she will stand up to him about oscar night he wants to be her date and she's like no i'm taking my mother and my daughter you are not invited Lana does not win the Oscar that year. Joanne Woodward wins the Oscar that year, but Lana is the Bella of the after party. So the night is March 26th, 1958, and Lana and Cheryl have a mother-daughter slumber party at the Bel Air Hotel in her bungalow. And Lana's like, great news, Cheryl. I've rented a big house on Bedford Drive in Beverly Hills. Okay, the fun thing, well another little spiderweb for you. Laura Hope Cruz, who played Aunt Pity Pat in Gone with the Wind, Built this house with her paycheck from playing Aunt Pity Pat. They're moving in on April 1st. Congratulations. We got a whole, whole new house, brand new scene. It's great. Cheryl goes to bed. Johnny shows up. And here's how Cheryl describes what happened next You bitch, shouted a man's voice from mother's bedroom. How dare you tell me to leave? You think you're a big star? Glass shattering. I want you out of here, she said. How dare you ruin my night? You no good lousy taking your kid and old lady to that thing tonight instead of me. It was John, mother's boyfriend. I thought they were still lovebirds. I knew that he had wanted to do the Oscars and she had said no, but this voice in the night didn't sound like his. Johnny Stompanato spoke quietly and carefully. This John was crude with a cold, ragged edge to his voice. If you don't leave here this very minute, I will call the manager. Lana, you'll never get rid of me. I'm sticking around. Don't even touch that goddamn phone. Later that night, Lana comes into Cheryl's bedroom, stands by the bed and says, Cherry Blossom, are you awake? Cheryl pretends to be asleep. The next morning, Lana and Cheryl act like nothing had happened. Cheryl's going to go stay with her grandmother and finish out the week of school before Easter break while Lana is working on finalizing all the details of the move to the house on Bedford. On April 1st, the day they're moving, Cheryl has oral surgery. I guess her wisdom teeth come out. She says, since my grandmother was working and we no longer had chauffeurs, mother drove me to the dentist herself. When we got back to Gran's apartment, I was still dazed on drugs, so mother tucked me into bed. I don't know how long I was suspended in half sleep before the shouting began. Here we go again. You will never pull that on me again. You will never leave me out of anything. If you go someplace, I go there, too. This time, i let you get away with it. But next. Johnny Stampanato's bad. He's a bad, bad man.
1: Okay, controlling.
0: Yeah. Johnny's shouts, wake up Cheryl, who is zonked out on Demerol, right? And she calls out to her mom, like, what's wrong? And Lana's like, nothing. Everything's fine. John came by to say hi, but he's leaving now. But Johnny doesn't leave. He doesn't hit the road until he makes one last threat. You motherfucker. You do what I say or I'll cut up your face. Maybe I'll have it done for me. No one will ever want to look at that pretty face again. This is unpleasant. Terrible. Stompanato leaves and Lana goes into Cheryl's room again. And this time Cheryl, right, doesn't pretend to be asleep. And Lana Turner says, baby, things aren't looking good between Johnny and me. I don't know what to do. And Cheryl's like, leave him, mother. Make him vanish. And Lana, I can't, baby. The truth is I'm afraid of him. He threatened to hurt me if I try to leave him. He knows people he can hire to harm my face or even kill me. Baby, what am I going to do? You've got to help me. Please, will you? And this is this is Cheryl writing yeah. this part. She had played the lingering close-up well. Now cut. That's a print. I swallowed hard because I believed that she was in danger. But something inside me said that 80% of what she was doing at this moment was play acting. Screen art blurred into life. She was in a jam. It was clear to see, but at some level in her mind, she was already beginning to self-dramatize in order to manipulate an escape. She was incredibly reaching out for help from me, a 14-year-old. I'd seen her do things like this before, unloading her personal problems onto others for them to straighten out, until her MGM contract was dropped two years before an army of service departments had all made her great and small worries go away. In addition, there were always her lawyers, agents, managers, maids, hairdressers, boyfriends, and grand to turn to before economies had to be made and the soldiers cut back. Now raw recruit that I was, it was my turn. Fourteen-year-old Cheryl starts troubleshooting. Lana's problem. This is not good. Lana dismisses all solutions that Cheryl's coming up with. Most especially, call the cops, Mom. Why don't you just call the police? Lana says the publicity. The press would have a field day. Cheryl will write that in that moment, she felt that she was talking to someone with no brain. Cheryl will later find out that Grandma had tipped off Clinton P. Anderson, who's the head of the Beverly Hills Police Department. He's also a close friend who hangs out with, hold on, it all comes back around, Stephen Crane, Cheryl's dad, at the Luau. Hmm. (laughs) But Chief Anderson can't do jack without a complaint from Lana, right? Please have Lana call me, will you? Have her call me and we can do something about this. Lana will not make that call. So the house that Lana rented on Bedford was fully furnished, except for pots, pans, and cutlery. So on March 31st, she and Johnny go to Pioneer Hardware, and John helps her pick out inexpensive silverware. An extra set of simple china, because mine were in storage, and a set of kitchen knives, all to be delivered the next day. I didn't bother to look at the carving set John selected. After all, knives were knives. To me, he was the expert. In that department. So on Good Friday, Lana, and Johnny Stompanato spend the day shopping. They meet some friends for Happy Hour Cocktails back at the house. One of those friends is a businessman from Hawaii who recognizes Stompanato as a classmate from the military academy all those years ago. Lana is a little surprised by this because that businessman is a few years younger than her. And Johnny Stompinato had told Lana that he was a few years older than Lana was. Lana goes to Cheryl later that day. It's just too much. I learned that John has been lying to me about something else. His age. He's not 43. He's 33, <laughs> which makes me five years older than he is. Wow. Oh, shit. I'm such a fool. He's making me look like one of those old has you see around who pay for young men. It's too much. I can't take one more of his lies. This is absolutely the last. The end. It's over. I'm going to get rid of him tonight. I don't know how. Baby, this is not going to be easy, you know. He's not going to want to leave.
1: Lana was right about that. Johnny doesn't want to leave. There's a lot of winding this kid up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This. Lana they're... confronts Johnny. It's not a great story.
0: Johnny goes into a rage. Cheryl is in her bedroom working on a paper about the human circulatory system. Sure. And she's watching Sergeant Bilko in the background. And Lana's trying to get away from Johnny Stompanato. Like, I've been in Europe. I haven't seen American TV. I want to watch this show with my kid. Johnny's not having it. Lana and Johnny end up back in Lana's bedroom. He grabs her by the shoulders. He starts shaking her violently and yelling, this time you'll get it. No one will ever look at that pretty face again. Oh, my God. Cheryl hears all of this. Yeah. And she will write in a panic, I ran downstairs and into the kitchen, where on the sink counter lay one of the knives Mother had bought earlier that day. The thought of scaring him away flashed into my mind. I went back up the stairs to Mother's bedroom and stood outside her door for a few moments. as stompanato continued to threaten to disfigure her. Suddenly, Mother threw open the door. John came up from behind, his arm raised as if to strike. I took a step forward. And he ran on the knife in my hands. Ten times. I'm just kidding, not (laughs) ten times. For three ghastly heartbeats, our bodies fused. He looked at me unblinking. My God, Cheryl, what have you done? In slow motion, he pulled off and jerked in backward steps towards the bed. Every second, his unbelieving eyes fixed on mine. But why, they asked. Then they fluttered towards the ceiling. And when he looked back to me, his face hardened. He knew that his life was ending, and he hadn't seen it coming.
1: This girl is 14 years old.
0: And she's just killed her mom's abusive lover.
1: This is terrible.
0: Lana later explains that she'd been opening the door for Johnny, who was finally making moves to leave. Lana says Cheryl didn't grasp the fact that Johnny was carrying clothes on hangers over his shoulder. Mm. All she saw was that his arm was upraised. Right. Right. It looked threatening and appeared to be holding some kind of weapon, right? Well, and mom has been winding you up for days. Mm -hmm. Cheryl, you got to fix it for me. Cheryl drops the knife, hides in a room. Lana tries to revive Johnny. She picks up the knife, drops it in the sink. Do something, Lana remembers, thinking. Call a doctor. Call my mother. I couldn't remember the numbers for a while. Finally, my mother's number surfaced. I dialed it automatically. Lana tells her mom, Johnny's dead. Has to, <laughs> I need the number of a doctor. Her mom is like, I'll call the doctor and come over. Meanwhile, Cheryl has called Stephen Crane, her father. And so Mildred, mom, grandma, Stephen Crane and the doctor all kind of arrive about the same time. The doctor takes one look at Johnny and is like, Lana, you need to call a lawyer. This time, Lana doesn't bother with her ex-boyfriend, Greg Bautzer. She will call the criminal lawyer Jerry Giesler. Tracks him down at a dinner party. Now, Jerry Giesler, can't make it up. Pretty good criminal defense attorney. He has, Jerry Giesler, has gotten both Errol Flynn and Charlie Chaplin acquitted of statutory rape charges. He has gotten Dr. George Hodel, who is believed to be the Black Dahlia killer, acquitted of child molestation charges of his daughter. I feel like this guy focuses on sex crimes. Jerry Geisler also handled Robert Mitchum's drug case. Okay. But he's got a little time in divorce. He handled Marilyn Monroe's divorce from Joe DiMaggio. Okay. Okay. So Lana's tracking down Geisler. Somebody calls the police. An ambulance comes, a squad car comes, and now looky lose are congregating outside, including a very young hero of my trash candy heart, Dominic Dunn, mm. who has fed all of his family dinner and he's gotcha. like, I'm out, Lenny. They live a few blocks over, so he is part of that crowd watching this whole scene go down.
1: Right. The trash father.
0: The trash father. So, like, after an hour or so after the stabbing, family friend, luau patron, police chief, Clinton Anderson, arrive on the scene. And Cheryl remembers, everything was done stringently by the books out of fear it might have been reported that the daughter of Lana Turner received special treatment. I was booked on suspicion of murder and taken to juvenile hall. There were court hearings and inquest threats from Mickey Cone, who arranged the publication of the love letters from mother to John, an unlawful death suit filed by Stompanato's brother custody battles between mom, dad and the state of California through it all. The crush of press was unprecedented. The coroner's inquest was a spectacle televised and broadcast live on radio a week after Good Friday. The coroner's inquest will be ruled justifiable homicide. After Lana Turner's appearance on the inquest stand. Because she comes in it's the lipstick, darling. Right? Ticket sales for Peyton Place go through the roof. It's oh the biggest blockbuster of 1958. Oh, my God. Stephen Crane, the not third... Lana Turner, are going to battle over custody of Cheryl. And Cheryl's like, forget this. I'm going to go live with my grandmother. I'm not living with either one of you. So here's something actually very, very sweet. This is, I will say one other nice thing about Frank Sinatra. Cheryl goes to her grandma's house where she's about going to move in with grandma. And there is a brown leather three speed Zenith record player and dozens of albums from Frank Sinatra. That's just waiting there for Cheryl at her new house. That was pretty swell. That's pretty swell. Yeah. So to this day, rumors persist that Lana stabbed Stompanato and convinced Cheryl to take the rap. Mom and daughter maintain their version of events. And one would almost hope it was true considering everything Cheryl went through in the wake of Stompanato's death. There are trips to juvenile court. There are stints in reform schools. But at the end of the day, Cheryl does finish high school. She goes to work for her father. It's my favorite part of the story. In February 1968, Cheryl goes to a party at a house in Laurel Canyon. She sees a really good-looking girl talking to Marlon Brando. Cheryl starts asking around and finds out that that woman's name is Joyce Leroy. But everybody calls her Josh. And Joyce, Josh, Josh, is a star on the amateur tennis circuit. Josh had also dated John Derrick and Peter Lawford, too. Like, who hasn't dated Peter Lawford? But uh, two years later, Cheryl and Josh fall in love, and they've been together for over 50 years, and they got married in 2014. Oh, my God. It's the fucking best part of the story.
1: That is a great story. And Lana Turner
0: totally supports her gay kid and lover Josh for all those years.
1: That's amazing. Okay.
0: Okay, here's your true crime adjacent done. Sure. Lana's going to, we're we're not even done with her husbands. Right. She's going to have three more husbands. Oh, God. These are quick two to four year stints, as was her custom. Marriage five is to this guy named Fred May. He's a rancher. He's part of the May department store family. Who, by the time of this marriage in 1960, so two years after Stompanato, Fred had retired from his... Business which was aircraft parts and import and export, and he's just chilling out raising thoroughbreds in Chino, it's a good life, so there's probably some financial safety there for Lana. They're gonna meet at a beach party in Malibu and they marry soon after. They live on the ranch in Chino and horses and animals, and things are fine, but it's Lana Turner, sure. So they're gonna separate by September 1962. Divorce is done by October. I don't know who she's got working for her. Like, she has the fastest divorces on the planet. Fred May, by all accounts, not a bad guy. This is the husband that she actually speaks very highly of. They get along fine after they divorce. She likes his new wife. Like, they they just weren't meant to be married. 1965. Hubby number six. Hollywood producer and businessman, Robert Eaton. He's a decade younger. Then Lana, apparently, she's gotten over that part. They get married in June of 1965 at his family's home in Virginia. That's going great until, like, April of 1969. Lana's going to file for divorce because Robert has been way unfaithful Mm. to Lana, and that just will not do. Mm. I seriously don't know how she... Is getting these divorces so fast. Uh maybe she just gets a fast pass in line. Hey, I know Judge Marshall. Maybe that's how it works. Maybe. I don't know. So May 1969, with the divorce from that guy final, like in just a few weeks, she's gonna marry her seventh and final husband. <laughs> this guy's name is Ronald Peller. They've met at a nightclub disco because it's nineteen sixty nine. He is working there as the nightclub hypnotist. He goes by the name of Dr.
1: Dante. Oh, God.
0: The nightclub hypnotist.
1: A nightclub is definitely where I want to be hypnotized. Yeah, for sure. By someone called Dr. Dante. Dante?
0: You no, know, this guy's a criminal. He has like oh, seven wives on his own. Even better. But he does hold the Guinness World Book of Records for the most amount of money ever raised in a seminar or something. Well, he hypnotizes charges... hypnotize everybody. Oh, my God. Well, I'm not sure if he hypnotizes Lana but in a few months, they're done, like inside of three months, because he's a fraud. Because he forgot and snapped his fingers one time, and she was like, whoa. whoa. Well, Lana discovers she'd given him $35,000 to invest. Oh, my God. That she finds out that he is invested into Dr. Dante. Hmm. Also, maybe stolen, Dr. Dante has like $100,000 worth of jewelry.
1: Probably from Howard Hughes, though, so. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Stop that tray. Their divorce is done by January, 1970. They've been married six months. Not even. Lana, after this, will claim that she is done with men. She says she is celibate for the rest of her life. She's had all of them. I mean, it's Lana Turner. I'll let you decide about her celibacy. But that is, oh, eight marriages, seven husbands. Lana will famously say, my goal was to have one husband and seven children. But it turned out to be the other way around. Huh. Lana's going to continue to work. She will semi-retire, like in the 70s and 80s. She'll come back into television in 1982 with the role on Falcon Crest. She will suffer illness in her later years and passes away from throat cancer at the age of 74 in June of
1: 1995.
0: Hmm. That's Lana Turner and her trashy divorces.
1: That is, uh, wow, just a long life of bad choices right there. I got a blank space,
0: baby. I'll write your name. Oh, my God. Yeah, Lana Turner, All-Star. Welcome to the Trashy Divorces All-Star Hall of Fame, Lana Turner.
1: I wonder if there was some way to expedite a divorce. I'm assuming she was getting these divorces in California. Maybe if you intended to marry right away. Like, maybe well, there was that some...
0: last one, sixty nine, like, community property. Like, Reagan had already done his thing as governor Probably. in California. But all those first ones, I got no idea.
1: Yeah, that's really... I have the
0: fast pass to the divorce line. Exactly. Because uh-huh.
1: I mean you mentioned she went to Reno for one and that you can do that in six weeks, but yeah, that's uh interesting. She found some loophole, didn't she? I think Lana Turner probably found a lot
0: of a lot of loopholes.
1: You know what's interesting, dear, is that before we even married, I had actually filed for divorce from you in California, <laughs> so we're actually two thirds of the way through the process. Filed now. for divorce on our second date after I
0: married you on the first one. God bless her. I love Lana Turner. She is a Hollywood legend, Hollywood goddess, and, definite and definitely, trashy, divorces, yeah,
1: all star. That's what I was going to say. And supportive mom of gay kid. Well, yeah, so after I she loved that part. talked her kid into killing someone. Yeah. It's, we all have
0: complications, <laughs> Stacey. <laughs>
1: Whew. I didn't
0: even assign trash cans for any of that. Do you have a trash can number you want to toss out at me?
1: Or is she just unlimited in her she's a okay all i'm picturing with this is lana turner and the seven dwarves and uh i i don't know i don't know the limit does not exist this is a very trashy
0: story they're all filled with top hat malt milkshakes in rainbow flags yeah and cutlery cutlery (laughs) y'all those are the Trashy Divorces of Lana Turner. There's some escapism for you. after I hope y'all enjoy that. Stressful week. Thanks for coming to uh, hang out with us. Yeah. For another Sunday. We'll be back next Sunday with more and more trash candy goodness. And in the meantime, you can always check us out at patreon.com slash Trashy Divorces. We're going to have a whole new trash candy serving this week of all fun kind of stuff. Continuing the Mitford
1: sisters. I may pull out some kind of a, a, I don't know if it's fun, but a fascinating little world war two story about three resistance heroes.
0: Nice. Yeah. Could happen. It's a week yeah. full of surprises on Patreon. You can join us over there for as little as two bucks a month. We also have replaced some new episodes out on that bit.ly bit.ly slash trash candy quarantine link. Mm-hmm. If you want to go check out a few free episodes.
1: I think that's all. I think that's all. My brain is wiped after that. Hey, nice work, everyone. Good job, friends. We did good. Democracy happened again. We did good. Democracy for the win. Tastes great. Less filling. I don't know.
0: (laughs) I'm going to need that fast pass to democracy now. Yes. Y'all can't wait to see you back next week. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Until we talk again, keep
1: your hands clean. Keep your heart trashy.
0: Well, keep your masks on. That too. And then, as always, keep your hearts trashy. Yes. See y'all next week. Bye, everyone. Bye, friends. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia, by us, Stacey and Alicia.
1: You can contact us at TrashyDivorces at
0: gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at TrashyDivorces.com.
1: If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at Patreon.com slash TrashyDivorces. Interested
0: in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch Shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly.com